Welcome to Dentists, Puns, and Money. I am your host, Sean Terrell, and my guest in this episode is Dr. Brady Frank. Dr. Brady is a third-generation dentist turned entrepreneur, author, and speaker. A wrist injury as a D3 caused Dr. Brady to find an alternate path from clinical dentistry, and he quickly learned how to buy and scale multiple practices as an owner dentist. He later co-founded Freedom Dental Partners, and he currently leads a seminar called Become the DSO. In our conversation, we dive deep on the key differences between corporate DSOs versus autonomous DSOs. Spoiler alert, Dr. Brady believes in the latter model. We also discuss how owner dentists can build an exit path earlier in their clinical career by partnering with an autonomous DSO. Hey, as a reminder, our company, Dentist Exit Planning, helps dentists leaving clinical with the financial pieces of that transition. In other words, how to build your financial treatment plan for your life after dentistry. If you're interested in guidance on things like your taxes and your investments as you exit clinical, schedule an initial consultation with us on our website, which is dentistexit.com. That website again, dentistexit.com. And with that introduction, I hope you enjoy my conversation with Dr. Brady Frank. All right, Dr. Brady Frank, welcome to Dentist Puns and Money. I'm excited to hear more about your story, and thank you for joining us. Hey, Sean. I'm so excited to be here, and uh, this is great. I've heard of your podcast for a while now and just really excited to be here. Awesome. My uh, favorite place to start, and if you've heard my podcast a few times, you'll know this. I always like to start with a little bit of background on uh, the interview guest each episode so the audience has some context. Could you share a little bit more about your journey in dentistry to this point and sort of how you landed at your current uh, point of your career. Absolutely. I'm a third generation dentist. As a junior in dental school, I had a wrist injury that was ongoing. My carpal bones were sliding in and out of place. Couldn't move my right hand and I'm right-handed. Mm. Uh, went to the wrist surgeon. I said, hey, I'm going to need my right hand. Uh, he said, well, you may want to pick a different career. And I have a bunch of dental school debt. And uh, he said, we, you know, at some point, you'll have to have your carpal bones fused. Well, at that point in time, I realized, okay, I've got to figure out how to make money in dentistry without actually doing dentistry. Checked out a few books at the Marquette Dental School Library on dental transitions. Ended up putting offers on a few practices as a junior. Uh, finalized purchase and sale contracts on two of them as a senior and closed on those the first year. Two dental practices, a building. Ended up buying seven more in the next five years, employing 28 different associates, making a bunch of mistakes, and uh, eventually selling those practices to those associates. And really, that's what got me going into kind of multi-doctor models, buying and selling dental practices, the business of, of dentistry, if you will. Wow, that's, that's quite a story. Did you spend any time at all in the chair? Were you able to practice clinically for any period of time? Or was it mostly into ownership right away with the uh, DDS or DMD behind your, your name? So what ended up happening is I did go through something called prolotherapy. I went through about 20 sessions where they do about 120 injections in the wrist. It, it, it goes into your ligaments and it purposefully creates um, inflammation tightening up your ligaments through scar tissue, believe mm. it or not. That tightened up the ligaments. And I, I still have some wrist issues, but not much. And I was able to practice all the way 
until I retired after I'd done enough in the business of the dentistry, owned a, co- a couple of groups, retired at age 36, went back to work again, building more groups and doing dentistry uh, because I was like, hey, what's my purpose? And I loved dentistry. So fortunately, it never prevented me from doing dentistry, went on, placed, I placed over 10,000 implants in my career, built an implant training company that was sold to private equity. Just really ended up getting deep in the business side and the clinical side as well. But I wouldn't trade it for the world because it caused me to get deep into ownership of dental practices where I am not the clinical producer, and which led me into teaching for many. I, I bought a seminar uh, system uh, called Phasing Out Seminars for Dentists in 2006. Did seminars around the country from 2006 to 2008 every month teaching dentists how to exit and exit well. And that's when I kind of worked with a group of 28 financial planners to help them because I really think a dentist needs to have a third party who understands finances when they exit. Uh, 2008 stopped doing that because the subprime recession caused all dentists to say, I can't retire. The stock market just dropped 38% or whatever. (laughs) Uh, So uh, then I went back into transitions, wrote a book called Transition Time. and. just have always enjoyed that unique process of a dentist moving on to the next phase through an exit or a transition or a sale to a corporate DSO or autonomous DSO. And so, yeah, I've really loved all those environments which which kind of sprung from me realizing, hey, I'm not going to be a clinician forever. Maybe it'll be short. And as I understand your audience, they're facing this reality of, hey, I'm 55 years old. I'm 60. I'm 80. I'm not going to be a clinician forever. I want a lifestyle. I my my back hurts, my neck hurts. I'm burned out. Whatever that may be. So we've ran kind of parallel paths but just with a little different focus. So interesting. So you mentioned really briefly in scaling initially right out of school several practices and then selling them off that you made several mistakes along the way. I know you mentioned your your legacy as well. So you had some experience, I would guess, about the business of dentistry going into it, or maybe not to lead you in that direction. How was your, I guess, expertise with the business side of dentistry early in your career? And what did you learn in scaling that many practices that early on? So my dad, he had his master's in healthcare administration and went around to different hospitals that were failing and consulting, fixing them up. My grandpa, when I asked him if I should go into dentistry, he said no. He would have chosen some business route. And when I went to shadow him, I watched him pack a large amalgam for the fourth time that had fallen out. And I was like, I don't know if I want to go into dentistry. Um, I did end up going into dentistry, but I didn't have any formal healthcare training or business training uh, per se. And so I ended up getting some formal business training later and real estate training and a lot of other training. But that was after I realized more than 20 years ago that I knew nothing about any of this stuff. And after making mistakes, being embezzled from uh, someone, a staff trying to sue for wrongful termination at that at that time, uh, having dentists who had sold to me break out of the non-competes, mm. associates that kind of never intended to work real hard, that got guaranteed minimums, all sorts of things that that you can get into if you don't understand the business of dentistry, I think happened to me and frankly happened to me for a reason so that I could get really educated and understand it to the point where I could help those transitioning to a DSO or exiting or whatever that may be for their next phase so that I can, you know, help others through the mistakes I've made over 
22 years and over the experience of owning dozens of practices so that they don't have to make those mistakes because, you know, there are no do-overs with a good exit. <laughs> That's very true and something that I preach uh, a lot is you usually only get one shot to get it right. So you better have your your ducks in a row uh, before you, you pull the trigger. Uh, you mentioned it really briefly early on in the conversation, but what what are you up to now? And kind of how are you involved with with helping dentists exit clinical practice as it stands today in 2023? Yeah, so I went from being a group practice owner, adding partners, having associates to helping other dentists around the country transition and or expand and have multiple locations to then helping DSOs and the attorney groups that serve them. And at such time, I found that, oh boy, there's two distinct groups of DSOs. There are what I call corporate DSOs who buy your practice, slap their brand on it, manage your staff the way they want to manage. You wear the scrubs with the apple or whatever on it, right? <laughs> you fall into, you, know, you, you put on the golden handcuff. That's a corporate DSO. But the other DSO, which is less known uh, and way more advantageous to the dentist, is called an autonomous DSO. And an autonomous DSO gives full freedom, independence, and autonomy to the dentist. How could that be? Why such a, a chasm between those two types of DSOs? Well, and that's the way it's structured. There's this big line here. We call it the corporate uh, healthcare line. Above it is the DSO. That's all the non-clinical stuff. Below it is the PC or the clinician. Um, that line is basically connecting the piece or the barrier between the agreements on the DSO and the agreements on the PC. So there's about eight agreements that connect it that all basically say the same thing. The dentist gets to make all the decisions of the practice. They own 100% of the practice, but they're going to take a benefit from the big finances of private equity. And so saying it this way, a well-structured exit with an autonomous DSO lets you keep your brand, no slap a brand on your front door, lets you keep your exact staff. You have uh, almost 100% staff retention as opposed to only 37% staff retention with a corporate DSO takeover. So you get to keep your staffing, all your systems that you do, the way you do dentistry, your same vendors, your same lab, all that stuff, totally autonomous. And it allows you to transition out to a junior doctor who fills in your shoes. And so I, I, I say this, it gives you all the best of the billions that are pouring into dentistry from private equity, all the best of that. The, the, the great cash coming into your bank account for a great retirement, coupled with a warm and cozy transition. And that's what an autonomous DSO gives you. A corporate DSO gives you a lot less cash. And frankly, it's the opposite of a warm and cozy transition, right? You're told to fall in line, do it the way we do, and take your practice and, you know, let it become uh, the, the kind of corporate red tape laden thing that it can become. And so, Usually I get two calls a week saving people out of corporate DSOs and about 15 calls or emails a week saying, how do I get into an autonomous DSO? Really interesting. And I have not heard that distinction that often spoken about within dentistry in the time that I've been involved in it. So that's a something that I think will be educational for a lot of people. Just a, a little bit finer point on the autonomous DSO. How does, how does that pay structure work? Does a dentist pay a flat fee to the autonomous DSO? Or is it a percentage of production or collections that, you know, just that obviously the autonomous DSO is in the business of making money as well. How does that relationship work financially? Yeah, here's how it works. And here's how 
private equity even allows dentists to have that independence. They've studied the two of them that now for 22 years. And in the late 90s, there were eight DSOs. Only three of them survived, and they were all autonomous DSOs. The other five that were corporate bankrupted. Those three autonomous DSOs, out of those three that were left, okay, two of them changed their model to cor- from autonomous to corporate over the years. Mm. Those DSOs went down. In fact, one of them released over 500 employees last year. Mm. Okay. The early days, they were going gangbusters because they were autonomous DSOs. So one of the major tenets of an autonomous DSO is the dentist owns 100% of their practice. Usually the way it starts is they get a valuation on their practice and they get on average 70% in cash. And now they own, they they roll over tax-free, tax-deferred 30% interest up here, which ends up being interest in a bunch of different practices, okay? So, so now they've bifurcated their one asset into, into several, a, a couple different assets, the practice asset and they own part of the DSO. And so moving forward, they usually receive 20 to, or excuse me, 30 to 35% of their own collections, plus dividends on the stock and hold co, plus some of the models involve a JV model wherein they receive a part of the ongoing EBITDA as well. So four major components, cash up front, hold co stock, uh, dividends based on a percentage of EBITDA, and then dividends from that Old Coast stock. And then, of course, the goal with every private equity company is that they would buy a DSO platform, hold it for two to five years, recap it with another larger DSO or private equity platform. Then they recap again until they've reached these very, very, very large PE groups like KKR or BlackRock. Once you've hit that level, Right, the stock value does not have much room to grow because there aren't, you know, mega, mega, mega private equity companies with trillions. It's only in the billions. So when you think about this, and when you think about what autonomous DSO to choose, you must find one that is at the early stages of growth. Mm. You know, in in that first three years of growth, if you join them later when they're a big name, like probably most of your dentists get letters from this DSO, letters from that. If you join them, then you're kind of getting the last little meat on the bone. Mm. Uh, if you join them in their early stage, when they're, they've already been proven first, but they're still early, then it's a very, very good value to have that uh, hold code shares at that time. Okay. And so if I understood the timeline correctly, it's two to five years from the time the dentist gets the cash up front and buys into the DSO until the practice fully becomes bought out by the autonomous DSO and then the dentist does the dentist 100% exit free and clear, usually within a fixed time period? Did I understand that correctly? Awesome questions. Awesome questions. So contractually, here's how it goes. Here's the DSO, and it's going to buy the dentist, their practice, right? It's going to acquire them, or more aptly said, nowadays, it's going to partner with them. Because they do still own 100% of their PC. What happens um, is, first is the offer, after some due diligence and calculating the profit or EBITDA. First is the offer, then it's through a letter of intent. Then it's usually about a 90-day period right in there before closing. And if it is going to close and both parties say, hey, this is great, the attorneys do the final paperwork, then at closing, let's say their valuation is $5 million. They're going to get 70% of that or a little over $3 million in cash up front. The other $1.7 million, let's call it, or 30%, is now held in stock in that parent company. Yeah. And let's say they got it at three three bucks a share, right? 
that private equity company that owns the DSO platform is going to want to get it to at least a 3X. So that three bucks a share, once it hits about $9 a share, that's when they're going to sell a majority interest in the DSO to another private equity company. Uh, their investors are happy. They're happy. A new private equity company now, which has to be a bigger private equity company, not only funds the deal, but it's going to kick hundreds of millions or a couple billion into new acquisitions at, let's say, a four, five, six, or seven times multiple because they already know that the platform value is a 12 to 14 times multiple. So every practice they buy doubles their share price, which is great for the dentist who already sold into that platform because their share price is doubling as well. So the cool part about keeping some on the table is all that growth is tax deferred. And unless the private equity company made a mistake in their purchase, right? And these are very smart financial people who've done this before. Unless they made a big mistake, you know, your stock's going to grow. But even that being said, I still recommend taking the majority out in cash, you know, following a sound financial plan, because no matter how sure a stock bet is, it is still stock. It's not real cash in your bank account. And you can, it might be a 70-30 split. You might do a 80-20 split, even some 90-10 splits out there. You get 90% cash, only 10% uh, stock. But they do want you to have some stock because that is crucial, because they call it aligned. If you don't have any stock, you don't really care about that DSO much anymore financially. So they want you and the doctors to be aligned. And that's actually a protective mechanism for your stock as well, because if all these dentists have taken a part of their career, part of their practice, and rolled it pre-tax into the DSO, who's going to drop out? Who's going to violate their contracts? Who's going to not refer other dentists into that DSO? So it's kind of an ecosystem with an autonomous DSO. And, and my last my last point here is a corporate, to finish up, a corporate DSO requires clawback to keep the dentist's golden handcuffs on. So they motivate through punishment. Autonomous DSOs motivate through giving benefit, incentivizing, right? So instead of a whip and a, and a clawback, which is clawing back money they paid you or interest that they gave, instead they incentivize you through shared ownership and alignment and they don't have any clawback, which is interesting. So that's the last major difference. Okay. No, that's uh, that's really interesting stuff. Um, just to make sure I understood correctly. So the, the final exit of the 30% is contingent on a buyout from a third-party private equity group most of the time? Or was it contingent on a specific stock price relative to when the dentist buys in? Most of the time, it is contingent on that new private equity company, and they call it a, a recapitalization, of course. Yep. So when that recapitalization occurs, you can sell all of your stock, some of your stock, or none of your stock, right? And some deals, they actually do kind of a sub-DSO model, where if you want out of the stock, they will guarantee that they'll buy it from you after a period of years at a certain multiple. One of the major autonomous DSOs buys you out at a 7.5x after a certain period. So you're not subject to the, the timing of the market and the private equity company. And it's to their benefit because they they think they're going to trade at a 12, not a 7.5. Right. So they're giving, giving you some, some guarantee on selling it. And they're saying, yeah, we'll sell it at 7.5. We'll buy it from them after they've given us a number of years. And we think we can get a 12x when we recap. Okay. No, that's really important because I think a logical question that most people would have would be if I don't want to, you know, if I just want to take my money and go do something else or be done, I just want to make sure I have a 
an exit to do that where it's not going to be, to use your words, clawed back in some fashion. Yep, 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 totally. And, and so there's 12 major nuances between a corporate DSO and an autonomous. So that, that's a biggie, the, the clawback. Uh, a, a couple big differentiators that I wanted to give you a chance to speak to on the autonomous DSO. One is clinical autonomy, right? And you spoke that the dentist in this model still has that. And then at the other end of the spectrum, one of the good things seemingly about uh, corporate DSOs or any DSO is the ability to do some things with the economies of scale, right? Supplies or equipment that can be purchased, you know, with a little bit more leverage given the, the group involved versus a single doc that's out there. Could you speak to those two things and how those fit in with with your model of a autonomous DSO? Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a great question. So I've spoken about how your doc increases. So your practice is worth maybe four to seven times multiple here. But when you have stock in the mothership, that's worth anywhere from a 10 to a 16 times multiple. So it's not just the arbitrage between the multiple values but it's also the ability to grow EBITDA organically at the parent company through five major things. Number one, big supply discounts up there, better than the solo guy can get. Yep. Number two, dental lab discounts. Number three, HR, HR, getting better deals on medical insurance, oftentimes through a PEO. Number four, a big insurance reimbursements rates on PPOs. A lot higher fees can be negotiated at, at, at that level. And in fact, one of the major DSOs, they're paying them $1,450 a crown in the DSO, other dentists $720, half the amount, right? Um, and, and then number five really has to do with the managerial scale. So you pay a full-time office manager to do X, Y, and Z, you pay them really well. And by when you grow your practice, even in, in an autonomous DSO, instead of hiring, hiring a bunch more staff, you can actually have a lot of those functions done by the, the mothership. And that it kind of squeezes the overhead from staff down a little bit. And everybody wins with a little more uh, EBITDA. So one of my big points to a lot of smaller solo dentists is that the sale value of your practice, if you go private to private, isn't going to carry the day necessarily. It probably won't carry the day as it relates to living the next 20 or 30 years of your life in retirement and the cash that is required to do that. Now, hopefully they're saving and building other assets alongside of their practice, but that's a different podcast for a different day. But with what I hear you saying and some of the value that can be extracted and leveraged out of this model, it would seem that a dentist can think about an exit from clinical at an earlier age if that's something that they would like to consider. Yes. In fact, doing it at an earlier age, if you look at a spreadsheet on it, actually compounds their retirement savings many, many, many fold. And here, here's how it works. Let's say a dentist has a $2 million crack with uh, 500,000 of EBITDA. Let's say in our network, they were going to get a seven times uh, multiple. All right, that's 3.5 million, which means they get 2.5 million, let's call it in cash. The rule of 72 states that 72 divided by your ROI is the number of years it takes for your money to double. So let's say at 2.5 million, let's say you're at 7.2% ROI. That means that your money's gonna double in 10 years. Now, that puts you at $5 million, which was your 2.5 that you pulled out, but all along the way, you're still making 30 to 35% from your clinical productivity, 
and you own uh, stock in that company. And let's just say that company, uh, so the average autonomous DSO, at least that, that we work, work with over three years, their stock increases by a minimum of 200%. So let's say the remaining balance is called 1.5 million, increases by 200% over five years. Now you're looking at doubling the double, you know, you're looking at, let's just call it safely three to $5 million in, in stock that, that happens at the recap. So now you've got 5 million cash at 7.2% interest compounding at, at the 10-year mark, three to 5 million more cash plus your clinical. And now that you've learned something, gotten out of your box, made an exit, what I've found is everyone who has made some type of exit in life redefines themselves. And if you don't take that step and redefine yourself, then you end up being exactly like the ADA statistics, which is at the age of 59 and a half, only 6% can retire with the same financial lifestyle. So there's financial reasons, there's get out of your box reasons, there's learning reasons, there's personal development reasons. And so when I look back, I'm like, the only times I've really grown are when I get out of my box, do something new, do something different. But in this case, at least financially, the sooner you make make uh, a transition, uh, the better financially, especially because we are in a DSO bubble right now. Values will come down uh, as more conglomeration occurs. Physicians who didn't take advantage during the bubble, they then realized their practices were, were worth nothing once it conglomerated to just seven bohemian in, in the medical market. So yeah, there's a lot of neat things uh, to run through considerations financially with a transition. I don't know if you hit on it there, but for a dentist that's thinking about their transition out of clinical, that sort of needs a little bit of a nudge, I guess, what advice would you have? So this is the nudge that I would give them. If you already think you might want to do a transition, meaning you had that little sense of a burnout two years ago, meaning you're back and neck uh, not feeling the greatest. Uh, you just got a report from the doctor and you said, ah, boy, I better get on that. Or, hey, my retirement account does not look like it does, uh, like it should have. I thought it was going to be whoop, five times more. If you've had little inklings like that, then what that means is literally, if you sell your practice and walk away, you're going to get 70% of last year's revenue, typical broker sale. A million dollar practice, you're going to get 700 grand, less the broker fee. If you're using a broker, less taxes, you're not going to be worth with, left with hardly anything. That's if you walk away. We call it a walk. The second format is, you know, a DSO, a corporate DSO. Well, with a corporate DSO, you don't get stock in the company. There's you get a lower price, all that stuff. Let's just assume nobody wants to go that route. The only other real option is an autonomous DSO, and you get the highest valuations if you're willing to stay aboard for a few years. It's three to five years. If it's five years, you're going to get the highest value because private equity companies don't have a dental license. DSOs don't have a dental license. So, so you're paid extra for doing that. So if you've had an inkling or a thought of transitioning at some point, my recommendation would be get on it today because it, your practice value only becomes less the less time you have on your fuse to stay clinically in dentistry. Dr. Brady, we've had a, a great conversation and we've hit on a bunch of different topics. Is there anything that I haven't hit on that you think would be in, important to convey before we start to wrap things up? I would say this, private equity companies that back DSOs, autonomous DSOs, time is money to them. And when they buy a bunch of individual deals, 
They put a lot of time and effort into that individual deal. If you can get with some type of a group that actually brings dentists together, combines their numbers, okay, almost like a union, if you will, and then goes to market as one force, you're going to get a higher multiple of EBITDA and way better terms. So if anyone watching is thinking about transition, find a group that allows you to go to market together. You get higher multiple, higher sale price, and way better terms. Great stuff. Great advice. Uh, the name of the podcast is Dentist Puns and Money. Do you have a, a dental joke that you would like to share? You know what? Uh, you pre-warned me about this, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a dental joke because my grandpa, who was a dentist, he had a lot of money sitting there, right? Yet when he broke a golf club, he went and bought a used golf club to replace it, okay? So this joke is in remembrance of my grandpa, loved him. And so here, 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 here it is, Sean. What is the fastest and best way to make copper wire? I don't know this one. Throw a penny between two dentists. <laughs> so, so anyway, I'm sorry, all you dentists, that goes to me too. We tend to be kind of cheap, right? We tend to try and do things on our own, even if it negatively impacts us. And so... So anyway, with that being said, uh, Sean, we do we uh, we do have Freedom Dental Partners. Folks can just Google Freedom Dental Partners. We buy up corporate DSOs and we turn them into great things. Particularly, I'd love folks to look up Dental Bar, DNTL Bar, DNTL Bar, and Freedom Dental Partners. There's a ton of press releases. Uh, they uh, we acquired them and converted all the doctors, seven or eight doctors who are associates, into owners. And I'll tell you what. It went from doing X to Y. It's crushing it right now. And so what we basically do is we buy corporate DSOs, but we also clump together as dentists and get way higher valuations and way better terms. And we work with about eight different autonomous DSOs in doing so. And we also have our own DSO platforms. So that's how we help and happy to help guide anyone in, in direction uh, there. Give those two websites again for people that want to get in touch or want to learn, learn more, Dr. Brady. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, one of them is become the DSO.com. That's literally us dentists becoming the DSO and then getting our highest valuations, right? Uh, great. Uh, the other one is Freedom Dental Partners. And so either one of those will get you to me. Uh, my email's not directly on there, but uh, if you want to email me, happy to share uh, anything, maybe a book or two I've written, whatever. And that's just Brady at BTDSO.com. Awesome. That is Dr. Brady Frank, dentist turned founder of Become the DSO and Freedom Dental Partners. Dr. Brady, thank you for sharing your expertise and your story and for being a guest on Dentist Puns and Money. Awesome, Sean. Loved being here. Thanks for all the great stuff you're doing for dentistry as a whole, including this podcast. And so hopefully some of the stuff we talked about helps uh, dentists in their journey. Awesome. Good stuff. Thanks for listening and following along. Are you a dentist nearing your retirement from clinical or have you already hung up your handpiece? Would you like a treatment plan for the financial components of your exit from clinical? Our company, Dentist Exit Planning, helps dentists like you reduce taxes in retirement and optimize how to best live off your assets, including the ideal time for you to start taking social security. If you'd like guidance on those critical pieces or just a second opinion, schedule an initial consultation with us on our website. Our web address is dentistexit.com and there's no obligation for your initial consultation. 
That website again, DentistExit.com. As a reminder, Dentist Exit Planning and Terrell Advisors LLC is a registered investment advisor. The information presented should not be interpreted or construed as investment, legal, tax, financial planning, or wealth management advice. It does not substitute for personalized investment or financial planning from Dentist Exit Planning or Terrell Advisors LLC. Please consult with your accountant and attorney for tax and legal advice. This podcast conveys the views and opinions of Sean Terrell and his guests, and the information herein should not be considered a solicitation to engage in a particular investment, tax planning, or financial planning strategy. Information presented is for educational purposes only, and past performance is not indicative of future results.